Strange Familiars. I'm your host, Timothy, and I'm here with my co-host, Allison. How are you tonight, Allison? I'm doing well. I should change that up. I say that every week. (laughs) (laughs) I should change it up. (laughs) Let's start this again. Okay. No, wait. (laughs) Welcome to Strange Familiars. I'm your co-host. Tim, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. I, I like that. Yeah. We should have you start the show more often. Got three stories on the show tonight. Going to talk to three different people. We have Corey, who shares a story of a scream, kind of a scream howl thing she heard outside her house that terrified her. Some poltergeist stuff and an old boyfriend story of a white Bigfoot she shares as well. Can we have an entire episode of just old boyfriend stories? (laughs) As long as they're paranormal. (laughs) (laughs) They're nightmares, as I qualify. (laughs) We also talked to Sam, who we met at Cryptid Bash in West Virginia, and she had a short little story that I recorded right on the street in Morgantown. So this was like not solicited, just someone came up to you and you grabbed a story on the fly? Well, she mentioned that she might have a story or something, but it was very short, and I just, I had the recorder, I said, Let's get it. So she told her story for us. And we're going to continue our high strangeness in Helm with Dylan. Before we get to all of that, though, a reminder that I will be at the Degenstein Community Library, also known as the John R. Kaufman Jr. Library, in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Will you be discussing the name change? (laughs) I'm curious as to why it has two different names. If you're curious, you can go on their website. It explains the whole thing. Oh, okay. All right. I will be there at 1 p.m. on Saturday, September 18th, to give a talk about Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, based on my book of the same name. I'll also be talking about Albatwitch. I'll have copies of my books there to sign and sell. And if you have Bigfoot stories, of course, I'd love to hear them while we're there. I'd like to plug something, Tim. I'll be feeding my friend's cats on Saturday, so I won't be there, but you know, it's anyone's welcome to join me. <laughs> now don't draw away from my audience. <laughs> I feel like these are some pretty cool cats. Uh, that's what I'm saying. People might rather see the cats than see me talk <laughs> about Bigfoot. This week, through midnight Sunday the 19th, I guess, or mid, I guess it would be midnight the 20th, whatever. Through the end of this week, if you buy a copy of my art book, Apparitions, from our Etsy shop, we will include free, or as they say in Deadwood, free gratis, a copy of my art booklet, Monsters Under the Hospital Bed. Both will be signed by me. That's a sale that's just going on this week. Just order apparitions, and we'll make sure to throw a copy of Monsters Under the Hospital Bed in with it. All right, so back to our third part of High Strangeness in Helm. Dylan continues his stories. 
They get a little creepier and a little scarier. I want to say we're working up to creatures or entities. So there's some of that coming. But in this segment, we're going to hear a story about Dylan when he woke up one night in the middle of winter to find his front door open, which must be incredibly creepy. And he also shares a story of an encounter with what sure sounds like a man in black. So let's go ahead and get to Dylan. The next thing, it's cold now. So we're, we're talking the winter months. And that happened, let's say that happened in the middle of 11, 2011. What I'm about to tell you next came probably four, five, six months later. It's winter time now, it's cold. Mm-hmm. In the winter time, I keep my temperature up to 80 in the house. The temperature at 80 degrees, that's what the, the, set, the set point is. So it's 80. So 3.30 in the morning, 3.35-ish, I wake up, the whole house is cold, it's cold as hell. So I get up, all this is in the dark, get up, go downstairs to the thermostat. First thing I thought was my electricity went off. Sure. I yeah. figured my electricity went off. And I looked outside, I could see the light, the, light, the street light, the street lamp by the mailbox, that was on, so I was like, the electricity is on. So I went over to the thermostat and hit the button, the thing lit up, the display lit up, it said 7.80. Inside temperature was like 42 degrees, Ooh, right? That is cold. Right, so... I'm like, all this is in the dark. I don't turn the lights on. So I look into the kitchen. I wish I could take you in there so you can see it. I got pictures I could show you. But I, I wish you could get in there. I look into the kitchen because the thermostat is right on the, the back side of the wall for the kitchen. Okay. So as I'm looking at the thermostat, this is the entrance to the kitchen. So I just happen to look over and I can see light up into the kitchen. I can see light coming, shining up into the kitchen on the wall. So I step over to the steps and looked down and my front door was all the way back to the closet. It was wide open. At 3.30, the door was wide open and I'm looking down the steps saying, is my door doing open? Right. Why is my door open? Right. So while I'm looking at that, I'm thinking the death threat, the guy who came to the deck. Right. I'm thinking, I'm like, these guys are really letting me know they can do what they claim they can do. Right. Right? So that, to me, eliminated the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Agitating me, playing, you know. Right, right. That eliminated that. Yeah. Right? So I flicked the light on. I'm about to run downstairs, and I'm like, as soon as I flicked the light on, I could see that the silhouette of the door turned black because outside it's dark. And right. when you turn the light on, it's, it, that kind of was creepy even looking. So I was like, I ain't running down there. They could see me. You know, so I turned the light out, went in, grabbed my gun, went downstairs, closed the door, turned the light on. Once I got the door closed inside, turned the light on, and I just checked the, checked the garage, checked the laundry room, uh, even the closet. I just opened the closet. It's small. Sure. No, I would have checked the whole damn I checked house. checked the whole, everything in the basement, came upstairs, through the kitchen, into the living room. I have a bathroom, just opened the door, looked in, came upstairs to the bedroom I went to my son's room his closet under his bed went into the den same deal opened the closet the, the den is empty it's just you go in there it's empty looked in the closet in the den came back out went in my room sat on the bed and looked at my bathroom like closet check the closet I'm like mm-hmm. it wasn't nothing that gotten past me but I went in there anyway no so I would have checked I the whole damn house I checked the entire house and just sitting there like okay man they, they alright I get it I get it mm-hmm. I get it so th- that was the point right then. I'm like, 
Alright, man. I, I definitely know I'm backing away from this now. And what kind of locks do you have on your door? I have two locks. The bolt lock and the, the little lock on the knob. And you lock them both every night? Yeah, I would lock yeah. them both every night. It was, it was nothing. That's no doubt in my right. mind. Every That always happened. Like, sure. like a person with o, OCD. They check everything before. That was one of the things I always did. Mm-hmm. So definitely, most definitely. There's no way possible I would have left that door open. Mm-hmm. No way possible that would happen. So yeah, man. Uh, when that went down, I'm like, damn, man. Okay. People that knew my channels, they would be able to realize, where has he been at? Right. They would say, damn, where has he been at? That was why I started. They, I wasn't nowhere. You wasn't seeing me no more because of that that was going on but I, I never told nobody that. I never told out of all that time I was promoting that case all them years nobody knows that story all they know is one minute I was here pushing this story and the next minute where's he at that's why I was gone right, right. because of that so all that went down man I don't know if I'd ever slept again honestly that's it took it took a while man I mean for some reason man that was another thing the thing with the door being wide open you know when I, I told a couple people like through my Facebook channels in the last year or two, I told them, y'all didn't know this was going on and that was going on. Just mm-hmm. People that were in the Dofat room, like, I'm still friends with them. So I'm like, man, it was a lot of stuff going on me y'all don't know about, blah, 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 blah. Here's one story. And I told them, they was like, oh, man, I was creeping, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but the one thing about that story is, for some reason, that didn't scare me. It really, really, really pissed me off, man. Mm. I don't know why. It, I no. think maybe because it woke me up. Plus, you really disrespecting me by opening my door, opening my door. I don't know. I don't. Under, I don't know why, but it really angered me. Mm-hmm. It did for my safety. It was more so for my son's safety. Sure, of course. I had my guns and stuff, but I was like, I'm not that nobody get caught up in this nonsense just because of my boy. Right, right. I don't want that on my conscience. Mm-hmm. But that, I don't know why that really angered me. That really, really. No, it's. it's- Literal home invasion, dude. I get that, 100%. I think it had a lot to do with, like, trying to dictate. Trying to dictate what I talk about or how I think about something. And it doesn't even have to be about your foes. Right. It could be about boxing or a certain athlete. You want me to think this. And I don't like nobody trying to control my thoughts. Sure. Like you're policing my thoughts. A lot of that intimidation had to do with trying to, you know, get me to do this and that. It worked to the point where I had to worry about being killed to shut up. Yeah, that worked. That's one of the things that really irritated me was the fact that you would do all that just because you don't like what I'm talking about. You do all that because you don't like what somebody's talking about. That really, 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 really boiled my blood, man. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it didn't scare me so much. Right at that moment when it was going on, I was like, why my door open? I was, like, literally mad, like, about to cuss out somebody. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, that was, a, it was, man, that was a trying time to go through. Oh, I can believe it. You know, it takes a lot of discipline just to keep your mouth shut. I couldn't tell nobody. I didn't tell Oz. I didn't tell nobody around it. Brian didn't know that. Brian, the guys you saw, they don't know none of that. I didn't tell them. Mm-hmm. Didn't tell nobody. I had to keep that to myself for the longest time. On to Panera Bread, man. So it gets hot now. It's getting hot. While all this is going on, are you still going out on your deck and still seeing lights and stuff or yeah yeah yeah, i was still doing that Mm -hmm. i was still doing that it was just like like i said i stayed up all night i could be out on the deck i could be out there i could be out there i had no problem with that this guy i'm about to tell you about this happened before we even shot because i had already been promoting the case prior to going out there the thing I told you about at Panera Bread with the guy that came, mm-hmm. that happened before I went to Seattle. Okay. 
okay? And I'm, I'm going to say the date was the month and, and year was June of 08. But it was hot. It was hot, man. I sat all the way in the back. If you come in Panera Bread on West Market Street, the one over there by the Walmart, if you come into that front door and you look to your left all the way in the back, the table against the wall to the right is where I sat at. Just to give you an illustration. Yeah, I know. Whoever's listening. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. I sat right there. And I would go there in the morning, get online, see what everybody was doing. The comments had to, like, you know, that post comments, uh, check emails, etc. Six in the morning. Let's say it opened at six. I got there like six ten. Mm-hmm. It was a woman in there. A young woman was in there already. She was right there at the door, seated at the table. And it was me. And I walked and sat at my spot. So I'm in there. I say, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later... It's hot. It's June, man. It was hot. It was in the 80s, early in the morning. Man, this dude walks into the, the store, looks at the girl, looks at me, and that distance from where I'm seated at to the door is probably 85, 90 feet. He looks at me and starts walking directly to me. This guy had on a black hat. This guy had on a white shirt, black tie, black trench coat, black slacks, black shoes, no shades and black leather gloves, man. Mm. It's six in the morning. It's June 2008. Okay? And this guy's walking to me and he gets to within 12 feet and he stops and just stares at me. And I'm like looking back at him and we're staring at each other. It's like, you know, what's getting ready to happen? Certain stuff I'm leaving out. Mm-hmm. But I was prepared. And I let him know, look, the moment you make any moves, this is going to happen. And when I said that, he smiled at me. I didn't say it out of my mouth. I said it in my mind. That's my thinking to him, looking at him. After staring at me and him staring, doing this staring contest for 10 to 12 seconds, that's what I think. I think as soon as you move, this is going to happen. And he smiled. And then he goes in the bathroom. He's in there. And now I'm like, I'm about to leave. I put the computer screen down. Just about to pick my stuff up and leave. And he came out. When he came out, he didn't even look at me. Like, I wasn't even there. Like, he wasn't there for me or anything. Just Mm -hmm. comes out, goes back to the door, goes out to his car, (laughs) gets in his car, and pulls the phone out and gets on the phone. And I'm looking at this guy. And he's on the phone. And he looks back at me, kind of smirks, like a smirky smile, looks back at me. And I pick my stuff up and I leave. The guy got in an Audi A8, a black Audi A8. If you watch the movie The Matrix, <laughs> I got to laugh when I talk about this. If you watch the movie The Matrix, the second one, I think it's called Matrix Reloaded. Mm-hmm. That's what Agent Smith, or one of the agents, had. Right. Audi A8. So I leave, and I'm going over this shit in my head as I go home and throughout the day, and I'm like, how do I tell people that? How do you tell people that? How do you tell people somebody dressed just like a man, a man in, in black. black? Yeah. He gets in the Audi A8. And then the stories where people say that's what they do. They do things. When you tell a story, it mimics a movie. He got in the Audi A8. I mean, let's break down the whole thing, though. So he didn't order anything, right? No. Did he talk to the girl or he just looked at no, her and then turned to you? No, he just turned and walked straight to me. Yeah, see? Six-something in the morning. And then... Not to get all macho or anything, but you square up 
with another dude like that and you don't say hi or say your intentions or anything something you don't know what how anybody's gonna react you know what I mean if I didn't know you and I came up to you like that in public what are you gonna think I'm just standing there staring at you you know what I mean the guy when he got about the halfway mark let's say 50 feet from the door so he's 45 more feet to me I'm saying that's 35 more feet my math's off when he gets closer to me I put my hand down in my waist put my right hand down in my waist my left hand was up on the, I was like this this is how I was mm-hmm. like this when I was playing to I didn't know if you could picture it but this is exactly how I was just like that just looking at him when he stopped in front of the table we it just was a staring match mm. and it was just I gave him that thought and he smiled the guy looked like Anderson Cooper but aged him about 35-40 years mm-hmm. that's how he looked he looked like that guy he had hair but he didn't have no shades, man. It wasn't no shades. You always hear the men in black with the shades. That was the only thing he didn't have to match up. Totally. But, yep. And that's how that went down. But the thing that kind of really was like, this is really serious because of the gloves. The gloves. Guys who are hitmen, they wear gloves. Right. And that was, I was like, man, this dude is approaching me at 6 in the morning with black leather gloves on. That's only one. In that can June. only be one thing. Gloves in June. In June, uh, yeah. but not just the gloves. I'm talking right, the, the whole, trench coat. The whole trench coat. It's yeah. too hot for any of that. Right, right. I had on like a t-shirt. Right. You know what I'm saying? You got on all this stuff. You didn't order anything. Just like you said, he walked in there, looked at the girl, looked at me, and just walked straight to one and it stops. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. Now, how do you tell that to somebody? This happened at the Panera Bread on West Market Street <laughs> in 2008 of June. How do you tell somebody from York County that? Right. You know, I kept that to myself, man. I kept that one to myself. Right. Well, so, then when he gets on the phone and, like he said, he, like, smirks at you. Man. Looks over his shoulder at me, smirks, just turns his head back. No. And I got my stuff. I left. Yeah. I left. Yeah. I left, man. But, yeah, these things were happening, man. So I've dealt with the physical confrontations. I know that that's real. I know that these people do harass people. You get too close to a story that is valid. If they really want to set you up, they will let you, give you a couple of warnings. You know what I'm saying? So I'm getting these warnings. I'm getting these guys, these guys at my back deck. I'm getting the door and all that. Those are the warning signs right there. You know? Now you decide what to do. If you're smart, I consider myself a smart person. I just slowly backed away. I did everything I wanted to do. I did the interviews that I wanted to do. When I first heard that guy's story, I always wanted to interview him. I didn't want to push it anything past an interview with me. Right. I know that in one that interviews out there is going to sit out there and it's going to take on a life of its own. I don't have nothing to do with that. I backed away. So I backed away. It was out there. But I went through a lot of nonsense that don't nobody know about. Uh, didn't he tell you that if you get close to him, like people got close to him, stuff would happen to yes. them? Yes. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. 
All right, next we're going to talk to Corey. Again, she heard this kind of howling scream outside of her house that really terrified her. Sometime later, she was out there and she just happened to be recording her dog and she captured in the background another kind of howling scream, which we've included in here. I cleaned it up as best as I could. You'll hear the audio. It sounds pretty frightening, really. You hear a lot of the up-close audio, like, you know, sticks cracking and other sounds that's happening. Her dog's, like, rolling around or something while she's recording this. But you can hear in the background this, like, really long, I think it's about six seconds long, drawn-out kind of howl. Corey also tells us some stories of some poltergeist stuff that was happening in her house when she was younger. And she shares an old boyfriend story of a white Bigfoot. Okay, tonight we're talking with Corey, who has some interesting experiences to share with us, including some audio she captured. How are you doing tonight, Corey? I am excellent. Just slightly nervous, but also very excited. I'm happy you came on the show. Now, you wrote me about these strange noises you heard. So let's start with this kind of Bigfoot or maybe Bigfoot stuff, and then we can go backwards from there and get some of these poltergeist accounts from when you were younger. But okay. uh, let's start with these these screams and other noises you heard. As much as you're comfortable, tell us where this happened. You can be as general or specific as you want. Yep. So I am in the eastern half of North Carolina. So this is this happening around your house? Yes. So my house backs up to a buffer of a protected, it's not like a wildlife area, but it's a protected buffer because kind of in the middle, there's a town shooting range Mm -hmm. for the police officers. So there's probably a quarter mile to a half mile of woods. And then there's a park on the backside. So right up to my back fence is just woods that run east and west quite a ways. They just kind of expand outwards. And this stuff all happened right there? Yes. The most recent was a little further off, but definitely from back in the woods. Mm -hmm. And the previous experience before that sounded like it was on the opposite side of my back fence. And we have a like a third of an acre. So it's, it's not like it's way far out there. This is pretty close, pretty close to the back of my house. Right. So what was the first incident? The first incident was shortly after we moved into this house, maybe a year or so after we moved into the house. And at the time we just had a dachshund and that is a smaller dog, as you know, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So we make a point to go out with him at night because of the woods to make sure he's not carried off by anything. And so this particular night, I took him outside. We have a a back light. It's not a floodlight, but it's a pretty bright light. It's on the back of our house that illuminates our back deck. And I took him out and I actually came back inside I don't know if it was to fill up the dog water bowl or whatever it was, but whatever it was, I was only inside for a short time and I went right back out to go and watch over him. And he was moseying around the yard and did not want to come back in. And so I actually went to step off the porch to go and get him. And I heard a noise that sounded 
as if it were on the backside of our fence. And it was a noise I've never heard of my life, never have heard since. Can't really even describe it. I sat down and listened to any wildlife animal I could think of that we would have in the area and all their various calls to see what the heck this thing was. But the most chilling part for me was this happened as soon as I took a step off of our back porch into the grass. And it felt to me like a warning. I'm a huge animal lover. I would do anything for my pets. And it scared me so much that I backed up. I walked backwards, back up the stairs, back so that my back was up against the house. And then we have another little set of like four stairs that comes up into a screened in porch. And I walked sideways and I basically had told my dog, like, you're on your own. (laughs) If you're not coming, I'm, I can't save you. I was terrified. I've never been so scared in my life. And I remember coming inside the house. My dog obviously followed me very quickly. He was also shooken up by whatever it was out there. So he Um, did react to it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He hurried up real quick. (laughs) And so then I came inside, I locked the door and we have these plantation shutters in our downstairs that look out into the backyard and you can pull them so that they're all kind of open so that you can see through the slats, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's how they are. Cause that's how they are during the day. And so they were open like that. And I was so terrified that I came inside the door, locked it and stayed where I was. I did not want to walk past those windows even to shut them. I called my husband down. He was upstairs. I don't know. remember what he was doing, but I called him down to shut them. I was like frozen in fear. I could not even move to walk past those windows. I was, I've never been so terrified in my entire life. Wow. Now I've talked to, you know, people who have heard, you know, different screams and so forth like this. And a couple people were very, very insistent that it was more of a roar. Would you describe it like that? Or was this more like a scream? It's interesting that you say that. I've tried to describe this to my mom, who's also listens to your podcast and is also very big (laughs) into Bigfoot. And she's asked me the same exact question. And I can't even begin to describe it, but it was more of a roar than a scream, but it was somewhere in between. Like it was some, some kind of combination or in between of the two. It wasn't exactly a roar. It wasn't exactly a scream. Louder than a person could make? Oh my gosh, yes. And longer, just more drawn out than what I feel like the normal person can. At that level, at that volume, it was such a long noise. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So so something with huge lung capacity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So... Did these sort of events keep happening around the house? So I I haven't really experienced a bunch of happenings in the house. That was the only time I've ever heard that. My husband's never heard anything like that. We have heard coyotes back there before, and we do have a flashlight by the back door that we take out with us now. So we've seen coyote, we've seen deer, 
but nothing, nothing like that. And, and more than hearing noises out there, it's the fear. I've never experienced a fear like that with any noise I've ever heard anywhere. It was, I, I can't even begin to describe for the listeners just how powerful the fear is that came over me. Wow. Well, I mean, that Chad describes hearing whatever he heard, a scream or roar. And the first time he was curious, the first time he heard it, he was curious. And then it, it sounded off again. He was in the woods when it happened. And the second time he said, he just got this feeling, we got to go. We have to go. Yes. Yeah. So I am kind of, I'm a little bit type A. My mom actually introduced me to your podcast and I've listened to probably six of your most recent episodes as they come out. Mm -hmm. But I went back to the very beginning and I'm listening in order. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm at one of your site sevens where you were talking about your previous experience where you backed into the circle and you guys kind of did the same thing at this visit from early 2020. And I can totally relate to how that feels. If you hear something or if you see something or just the vibe that you get, it's a fear, you know, like it's time to go. Got to get out. Yeah. You, it's uncomfortable. You don't want to be there. Yeah. We always say we know when it's time to go there. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So you sent this video. Yep. So this was a, a another time, obviously. This was more recent. And this was, so we have a dachshund. He was our first dog. And we added a puppy to the mix. And we picked up the puppy on a Saturday. And this video that I sent you is from... Sunday morning. So the very next day after we got this puppy and she's young. So we're taking her out bright and early and she's adorable and cute. And so she's rolling around and doing all kinds of stuff in the leaves. And I'm just taking video after video, trying to get her doing something cute. And in this, I think it's the second video that I took. It was seven twenty-eight in the morning. First one happened at night, by the way, that first situation happened at night. This mm -hmm. one's early, early in the morning, 7.30 in the morning. And it's kind of off in the distance, but it's a long drawn out. What I think of when I think of um, a Bigfoot yell, mm -hmm. it's just long and lots of lung capacity. And I can tell it's off in the distance, but it's still very loud. And I, I go from recording my dog, my little puppy, you hear the whole noise while I'm panning down at my dog and I as a person am looking up into the woods like what in the world was that and so then I I realized and I'm like well <laughs> and I pull my camera up and you don't see anything but I just pan it and you can kind of see the woods so for you it will give you kind of a visual of the woods that are back behind my house mm -hmm. yeah I see that your yard's fenced in yeah and, and if I can pull the audio from that I will insert it here so that was more recently do you continue to get you know strange feelings in the backyard or I really don't. 
I really, really don't. I walk a lot with my dogs. I have a seven month old daughter now and I, we go for walks, obviously not at night. I will sit out there. Uh, on, we have a screen in back porch. So I sit out there a lot at night. I am like some of your other listeners where I'm curious and I'm looking up at the stars a lot and just, you know, trying to be observant of what's out there. So I'm out there and I am making a point to be out there. Mm -hmm. I have not heard anything since they actually have started kind of developing in the area. So it kind of breaks up what was this long, these long stretches of miles and miles of woods have kind of started to be broken up and developed. I don't feel threatened or scared or have these weird vibes. That's good. Yeah, Yeah. it is. I mean, I'm also curious and interested in it. So it's, I wouldn't hate to have something, but not like the first one. The first one was frightening. and I I didn't want to experience that ever again. Yeah. But I mean, that's interesting because, you know, so it's not like, you know, you take the dogs out at night now and you're particularly scared or feel like something's there or anything. It was that particular incident. Right. Yeah. And even when I, we've heard coyotes, you know, I don't feel the fear. Like I said, it was real. It's like nothing I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned the story about seeing this little black furry creature and you mentioned Mm -hmm. some, some poltergeist activity. Did these things happen at the same time or did this is in your youth? Yes. So those were in my youth. Those were back in, I am originally from Illinois, a little town, probably about 30 minutes outside of St. Louis, Missouri. When you say Illinois, a lot of people think Chicago, but I'm actually down more in the Southern part of Illinois Mm -hmm. is where I'm from. And I had a lot of poltergeist type activity happening as I was young. And I have a brother who is 15 months younger. So I would say between the two of us kind of going through puberty and there was probably a a lot going on in the house. There was stuff that happened in the house before that time though. So I don't want to attribute all of that to us Mm -hmm. and I'm happy to, to share those events as well. So let's talk about this creature, unless the poltergeist stuff, did, did it happen at the same time? or were these... Yeah, so that was all kind of... Interesting. That, that kind of kicked it off, I would say. Oh, okay. For me, anyway. So, mm-hmm. first of all, the house that I grew up in was probably built in the 20s, I want to say. And it had some weird things. When, when my parents moved in, they bust down a wall that was a decent-sized room, and it they had boarded not even boarded it up, but actually put up walls on either side. And there was like a rocking chair and a bell, I think behind the wall. So just oddness. There was that. And there was something else I want to say that they found, but just some odd, there's a lot of doors in the house that don't make sense. Like they added extra doors in places, rooms that didn't make sense. Just some oddness. Even before the poltergeist activity, my mom and I both consider ourselves to be a bit sensitive to these things that other people might not notice so I've always had a weird feeling about the basement not exactly sure why there but actually my older half sister saw uh, a ghost of one of our dogs that passed away in my bedroom 
And I remember the story to be right by the closet door, which is where a lot of my poltergeist experiences happened. But this was a friendly, you know, it was a pet of ours that had passed away that she was seeing. But as we grew older, apparently my mom had had a psychic party in the 90s. And she said this was all the rage at the time. Like People would do this with their girlfriends and have people come over and the psychic would be stationed somewhere in the house and would tell people's, I don't know, futures or whatever. So I was little. I don't remember this even happening, but apparently it did take place in my bedroom. So poltergeist starts happening as we're getting a little bit older. And the first thing that happened to me was I had this dream that felt very real with this small-ish. I grew up with big dogs, so maybe it was medium-sized, but small to medium-sized, standing on two legs, not on four, fuzzy thing that looked like, it looked like a black dog, but it was standing on two back legs and it was fuzzy, but it had red eyes and it was standing in the doorway of my closet. In the dream, I was scared, but in the dream, I woke up and it made itself known that it was its domain was my closet and that's where it lived. And when I went in there in my dream, this is all still in my dream. Like all of my belongings were organized biggest to smallest. This could all just be me because I'm very type a and organized kind of person. But after that is when I started having issues specifically centered around the closet. So I would be in my bedroom playing with, stuffed animals or whatever the heck I was doing at that age. And my closet door would swing open and that's creepy enough for me. I'm still to this day, I'm not a huge fan of closets, but to give you even more of a backstory, this closet door in particular of all the closets in our house, this door stuck really bad. It stuck to the point where when you would pull it open, it would almost like wobble because the top would stick so bad in the door frame that when you would pull it, the bottom would be coming out before the top and it would kind of just wobble. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm familiar with, with the doors (laughs) like that. Yeah. So this was not a door that just came open. Number one. And number two, when it did come open, it wasn't a smooth, graceful motion. And this door would just ever so, lightly just glide on open just as smooth as could be and it would come wide open and I'd just be sitting there looking at (laughs) this black closet it was a big walk-in closet so it it went in and then it kind of the eaves of the house slanted so that the closet itself slanted all the way down to the back so it was big and it was terrifying (laughs) for me especially at that age And it happened, and I remember the first time getting up and shutting it and just thinking, well, that was odd. But then it happened again. This was not a one-day thing. This would happen frequently. And to the point where I went downstairs at one point, and this is what my mom remembers as well. I came down and told her, my closet door keeps coming open. Like, it just keeps coming open. And, of course, my mom has all the background information. She knows that she had a psychic in the house 
and she knows that this door sticks. And so she, I'm sure she thought it was weird. So she actually came up and yelled at whatever it was and basically said, like, you're not welcome in this room. You cannot be here. <laughs> Don't be scaring my children. That was a big one that happened to me. And I don't really remember the closet coming open a lot after that. I would say it, pro it probably still happened from time to time, or it would just be cracked or just odd things. Mm -hmm. um, but there were other things. So my mom would hear my brother breathing in his, like sleeping in his room and he wouldn't be in there. He would be at a friend's house or we would be downstairs all together and we would hear something running around upstairs and we've had cats. We had cats growing up, but this was at a particular period where we had no cats. They had passed away. So odd things like that or lights being turned off or my mom has an experience in the basement where she went down there with a voice recorder and I don't know why she was doing this, but was asking, like, is there something here? And she says that the washing machine started, like, rocking back and forth and banging like someone was banging on it. Oh, but it was off. So she ran upstairs and stopped recording and was like, never, you know, never. I'm not doing that again. I don't want to know what's in here. Right. So I remember another occasion where... I was actually taking a nap, I believe, in my parents' bed mid-morning. I woke up and was awake. And I remember feeling it felt like something jumped on the bed. And then it felt like little paws walking across my legs. And I remember vividly throwing the covers off and running down the stairs so fast that my parents thought I was falling down the stairs. <laughs> to report to them what happened. And then my mom tells me your rabbit passed away this morning. Maybe this was your rabbit coming and paying you a visit. Cause I had never felt pause on me before. Right. So just a lot of odd things. And as I got a little older and I was in high school for these next two events, there was an event where I heard I was sitting in the living room of my house, which happens to be directly below my bedroom and my closet. And the wall I was up against happens to be directly below my closet. And I heard what sounded like a large bubble popping. When I envision it in my head, it's like the Wizard of Oz when the good witch comes out of the big bubble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was a huge bubble pop like the sound of it you could tell it was just a large bubble and I looked up above me like what the heck just happened I know I heard that there's nothing there and it happened to be right below this closet where a lot of this activity was centered around and shortly after that the paint on the ceiling where I heard this noise started peeling off it was peeling off the ceiling. Oh, that's interesting. Flaking off. That happened. And then the last experience that happened to me in the house was also a very terrifying one where I was in the shower and 
my mother and I compared notes and she remembers it differently than I, she remembers being home. I remember being home alone, but regardless, I remember being in the shower and I'm rinsing soap out of my hair and I, I stand facing away from the shower stream and I was running my hand back through my hair into the stream, but I made contact with an, with a hand that was not my own. And it was like simultaneously at the same time that the hand was touching my, the back of my head and the hand was not, it wasn't like it was cold. I honestly thought maybe it was my brother or whatever it was. I turned around, nothing was there. i looked out the shower. The door was still shut. The door was locked. So with soap in my hair, I turned the water off. And I got the heck out of Dodge. I got out of there. I mean, with soap still in my hair and ran out looking like yelling for my brother, what the heck are you doing? What's going on? And I remember no one being there. And so I was even more terrified. Yeah. Thinking, well, what was that? But my mom happens to remember being there and being equally as alarmed. Like no one was in there. I you know, we're sitting out here in the living room and that, that faces the bathroom door and nothing came and went. I, uh, I, and I don't know whether this is, you know, growing up with culture. I don't think I've ever even seen the movie Psycho, but, you know, culturally, that's a thing, you know, the, in the, when you're in your shower, or you, oh. if you just feel vulnerable because you're naked and, exactly. and, and bathing, I, I don't know what it is, but that's creepy. The shower stuff is just creepy. It's not okay. Yeah, you're right, because you are very vulnerable, and that's a private time and a private moment, and I was not expecting. You know, you as you grow up in a house where you're experiencing some poltergeist-type activity, it's not that you are expecting it, but when it happens, it's, I don't know, I guess you're just not oblivious to it anymore, but this was, I was not expecting that. I had not had any experiences like that and so it was very alarming to me yeah it's very disturbing yeah so growing up with a mom who was essentially a believer Mm -hmm. did that make it easier to talk about this stuff or easier to recognize like things were going on So, so interestingly i was brought up my mom was brought up very catholic and so was my father and my mom was divorced before she had my brother and I. So the Catholic church kind of pushed her out, I guess mm-hmm. they were, you know, they were not okay with that at the time. That was right. a big no, no. Right. So we were not practicing Catholics, but we were very much brought up with the same Catholic beliefs, I would say. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's like, you talk about the mother Mary and like, I, I can relate to all of the things that you say. But as well, my my mom has always been, you know, I don't know if the cart came before the horse. I don't know if she's always been interested in this stuff or if her love for Halloween has made her interested in this stuff. But at some point, those paths, I guess, are intertwined. But my brother was actually born on Halloween. So Halloween in my house was always a big deal, always something very much celebrated and I think because of that, we kind of embraced some of the oddities and spooky things a little more than 
what some other families might, especially being very Catholic. But I think knowing how my mom felt about things did make it easier to approach her and not feel like she was going to say, there's nothing wrong with your closet. Right. Go back up there. You know what I mean? She, she actually listened to us and believed that what we were saying was real and was a possibility. And then on top of that, you know, we'd sit down as little kids and say, tell us a ghost story, tell us a ghost story. And she had experiences that happened to her as a kid with lights in her bedroom with a sleepover. And my grandmother had an experience where she felt like one of her children were standing at the side of her bed, looking at her while she was napping. And instead of opening her eyes to see what was wrong and if the kid was sick, she just laid there pretending to be asleep. And she heard a whip noise and was struck through her covers and had marks from what she described as like a whip. Wow. And that's in my grandparents' house. That's not even in the house I grew up in. But just mm-hmm. so it's like there's always been, there have been things that we they've experienced. And so I think my mom was, again, open to it and believed us when these things would happen. So you moved from that house. Did the whole family move or does your mom still have Nope. Property? They're still in that house. Are there still things happening? We feel like there is a hot time of the year where things are more likely to happen, but it doesn't happen every year. That's interesting. And it's not nearly to the same extreme as it was when we were teenagers, young right. teenagers. Right. Yeah. I mean, that but, the checks boxes. Yeah. There. Yeah. It's a lot of like noises. I thought I heard this or I, or this was moved or just odd things, but nothing quite as terrifying as when we were there and young. Now, when you go back to visit, do you ever uh, check the closet? I, <laughs> funny, funny that you should ask. I uh, still don't like that closet, especially in particular. My mom, fittingly, has turned it into a little oddities room. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and she also keeps all of her, again, Halloween is big in our family. So she keeps a lot of her Halloween decorations and stuff in there. So it's not my favorite place to go to, for sure. I don't like to open the door. I don't like to go in there. I don't like it. No. That's interesting. Yeah, I still have bad vibes about it. And to be honest, the basement still, there's something about the basement stairs that really weirds me out. I can go down and I can get down the stairs and be okay and be in the basement and be fine. But something about up going up and down the stairs, it's a, not a good feeling in that area. Was it the house that kicked off the poltergeist activity that was heightened by you know teenagers being there mm-hmm. you know the, you had this chicken and egg thing which is is very mm-hmm. i mean i probably both end really is, is usually the answer to these things yeah it, but very interesting but so, i will also say my brother is a very intuitive person but he either didn't pay as much attention or he's just not as sensitive like it wasn't like he picked up on it the way that i did i think that's pretty normal too you mentioned uh, having, I think you said it was a boyfriend who had a white Bigfoot experience? Yes. I have a, an, a UFO type thing that is not mine that I'm happy to share. It's quick. 
I honestly cannot even recall where I heard this, but I thought it was fascinating, so I just wanted to mention it. Yeah. This particular person, whoever it was, lived in the country, and they mentioned being out. Illinois is very flat. There's a lot of crops and farmland, so a lot of times there's not a lot of big trees blocking your view, and you can get a pretty good view of the sky on a clear night. This particular person mentioned that they looked up to the sky to notice the stars they were out they were very bright it was a clear night and they you know were just kind of not stargazing but just kind of admiring the night sky and realized that this whole big cluster of stars above them were slightly moving just a huge surface area of the sky right above them just slightly moving and they could see like stars going out like that it was covering And they described it as a UFO that had what looked to be like starlights on the bottom so that it was disguised with the night sky. Oh, that's interesting. Like camouflage. Yeah. Just, and just moving. And the only way they could tell was it would like cover up stars that they were also seeing and then, you know, uncover them as it moved past. Mm -hmm. They described it as very slow moving. And again, not my story. So I, I don't really know any details, but I figured it's, worth mentioning yeah no that's very interesting and then the other story also took place in illinois this one took place in i'll just say jersey county illinois and also not my story but this happens to be up against a uh, state park where this ex his family owned land up there and as a child he and his cousins were, they had this big rock pile that their aunt, they were, must've been over there for some holiday Easter or whatever. And there was this huge rock pile in their yard or I don't know, a driveway, but anyway, it was a rock pile that they were going to be using to either, you know, pave their repave their driveway or fill holes or whatever they were doing with it. It was something that they were going to be using, but they're playing up on this rock pile and they look up to see a white Bigfoot running from one tree line kind of past them. And then up this really big, steep embankment in back into the woods of the state park. And they were all kind of like, what the heck? And they, they were terrified. They ran off. And this guy is kind of like a country no-nonsense type of guy, I would say. Mm-hmm. And when we first started dating and he told me the story, I was like, a white big, like, you're describing a Bigfoot and you're saying you're calling it a Bigfoot, but it's white. And I, at the time, had never heard of this. I thought all Bigfoots were were brown or, you know, I thought they were brown anyway. Right. And I, I wasn't surprised that he saw one because, again, this is something like I've wanted to see one my whole life and I've believed my whole life, but it was weird to hear him describe it as white. He's an adult at this point, but this was as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you're a kid and you're going to make this story up, you're going to say it's a Brown Bigfoot, right? One would think. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're not in contact anymore, but now I almost want to ask him like, do you think it could have been silver like it was old and it had gray hair or 
regardless, he described it as white, but I love it. I love that that happened and that was shared with me because now I'm hearing all of your stories and I'm like, this is not crazy. And it's weird if it's an albino because of the whole, the population size. Right. Right. But yeah, the, the number of, of yeah. white Bigfoot reports that I get it, it way outpaces the chance of the, it being, if it's a natural creature, uh, the chances of it being albinism. I mean, unless the albinism rate in Bigfoot is much higher. But uh, more than that, you know, if something's trying to stay hidden in the woods, like white exactly. is a really bad color. I mean, great in the winter when there's snow on the ground, but otherwise a pretty bad color. Yeah, and even in Illinois, it's not like they have snow enough to for it to be worth it there. Mm-hmm. It's not. It would not be advantageous there. Not like you know Alaska or this is Canada. This is not. You know, it's right. Just not advantageous there. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to talk to him, but I'd also like to talk to the other kids. I don't know if you heard the one guest uh, we had, Gage who saw White Bigfoot when he was a kid? Mm, I don't... If, if I don't... That doesn't ring a bell. Okay, yeah. If you're going through the episodes, you, you might not have gotten to it yet. He saw White Bigfoot with three friends, or two other friends, rather, when he was about 10. And uh, he went back and found these guys and asked, and talked to them about it because he got interested in Bigfoot later in life. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to talk to them and, and see what they remembered about it. And the one of his friends didn't see anything, said he had no recollection of seeing anything. The other said he saw it, but it was black and and, and evil. Yeah, so Gage saw this white creature that he said was very, he got a very protective vibe. Like, it was scary, but he said it, it was kind of scary and like a, don't go back this path, this isn't for you, get out of the woods right now. You know, like, he, he said he, he almost got the, the idea that it was protecting him like there was a mountain lion back there or like a a, you know some human that was up to no good that this thing was like warning him out like get out you know so it was frightening because it's a big hairy thing but it wasn't an entirely negative thing for him his friend who did see it said it was pure black and evil and said he got this horrible negative vibe from it wow that remains one of my favorite bigfoot sightings ever i I, and absolutely but fascinated the, by it the third child reports not having seen it yeah he, he saw nothing and but did they all run off yep. or yep they all took off running yep. so the one that didn't see anything but took off why was he taking off well gage said that the kid was a little the kind of kid that that kind of did look down and was more like kind of a, of a follower and and okay. maybe maybe he n- didn't even look up and just the other kid said run and he ran with any okay or, well i could see that yeah i mean that's possible or you know the other interesting thing is it wasn't for him maybe he just didn't see it yeah you know? exactly or he has blocked it out because right. it, maybe it was traumatic absolutely possible it's really fascinating i think it's very fascinating my husband is very much like your wife where he <laughs> i made <laughs> i made him tell me that uh if it ever came out that they could prove that Bigfoot is a thing. He has to get down on his knees and tell me that I was right (laughs) (laughs) because he is very much like, like your wife where he will, if their proof came out that it was real, he would be like, okay, there it is. 
but he is very skeptical. So, mm-hmm. and same with aliens, he's the same way, but I'm on the other spectrum and very much like you and your wife, it kind of helps to have someone that will bring me back down. But I also, ha- I feel like I've kind of opened his mind to like, yeah, there's some weird things going on. Yeah. One of the turning points for Allison, we were at a, a event, I've talked about it before, and some guy came up, he was very shaken up. He wanted to talk to me, and he, he told me his experience. He'd seen the the, the little hairy creatures, the, we call them Albatwitch here, yep. little, little people. And uh, he told his story, and his daughter was with him. His daughter was like m- sort of making him talk to me, like, you need to talk to this man and tell him your story. And he tells his story. And he didn't want to come on the podcast. He didn't want to give me his contact information. He just wanted to tell his story, get it out there, and, and you know somebody that that would listen to him and believe him. And you know, kind of turned around and and faded into the crowd. And I never saw him again. He he mm-hmm. lives in in the same town I live in, so I keep hoping like one day I'll run into him. But <laughs> but when he was done, Allison very sincerely turned to me and said, "I don't know what he saw, but he saw something." Yep. And that is, like I said, that's the best kind of skepticism. And that's what I call like honest skepticism. Yep. You're not willing to go all the way yet, but you at least go, okay, this person was deeply affected by something. Yeah, I agree. I hope that when I tell people this story, which I don't talk about it very often, just because I know how people react, but I hope that they know when people know me well enough, I hope that it comes across that I'm being very sincere with right. all of the things that I've experienced because I mean, I'm kind of a creative mind, but I'm also, I believe in science. And so I want factual evidence and proof of things too, but I've experienced things that I'm like, well, it's, <laughs> that's not going to happen. It's that's beyond what's going to happen. And I, still can come to terms with the fact that this happened. It was a real experience for me. The fear that I felt when I, especially when I heard that first noise was more scary than childbirth. It was more more scary than being in a car accident. It's, I mean, it just, I have never felt that fear and you can't even explain it to someone unless they've had a similar experience. So your husband had to see, you know, when you called him down to shut the shutters and so forth, he had to at least see that you were shaken up. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. It, to the point where, I, you know, I asked him, please shut all these blinds. I'm not even going to, I won't even walk by and go upstairs to sleep tonight until these blinds are shut. I cannot walk by, past these windows. So he definitely knew I was afraid. That's never happened before. It's never happened since. But at the same time, he, you know, he's, he didn't experience it so he he's like well you want me to go out there with a flashlight and I'm like no I I don't want anyone to go out there (laughs) no one should be out there right now this was definitely a warning Mm. he's also the person that's like well you want to move and live on 100 acres of woods how would you ever survive you'd be scared of everything and I'm like (laughs) no this was like nothing I've ever experienced fear yeah yeah like unfortunately it was a warning Unfortunately, as much as a Bigfoot guy I am, I don't think you're ever going to get that, that no, no, no. on-the-knees apology from your husband. I just don't think we, we get to know one way or another, unfortunately. I agree. And my mom, long before we ever found your podcast, came to the same conclusion that you came to and told me 
about it. And she's like, I don't even want to tell you because it just sounds so weird. But, you know, I just don't think that they're of this. They're not. I don't think they're a flesh and blood, you know, gorilla in the woods. I just mm-hmm. don't. I think there's there's another realm or there's another place or there's somewhere that they're going to that they're they can just escape and just not be found and what's your mom's first name my mom's name is kathy kathy yep i'm with you yep I'm with and you, kathy. she and i as soon as she said it i'm like of course i mean it it makes perfect sense yeah it's it's really really difficult to make a breeding population work especially like i say especially in pennsylvania especially in my part of Pennsylvania and the number of reports I get, it's just, you know, it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work as a natural right. creature. No. Um, and it's not just like you probably thought, or like I thought as a young kid, it's not just the Pacific Northwest. Right. It's, this is going on everywhere. There's yeah. no way that it could just fly under the radar, be right under everyone's nose and not at the exact same time. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I agree. Corey, thank you so much for sharing your stories. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. I love the way that you interview people. I know that you are a writer, but I don't know how much journalist training you have. I think you ask great questions, and I am honored to be on the podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Do you know where you can find 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy, Allison? Oh, I do know this at sithappens.us. That is correct. See, this is a quiz to see how much you've been paying attention. Okay. And the link for 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy is at the top of the page when you go to sithappens.us. Why would you want to go to sithappens.us and click that 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link? Uh, To build a relationship-based approach to you and your new puppy? Absolutely. (laughs) They have a relationship-based approach to training, and they help you and your puppy become perfect for each other. Whatever kind of problems you're having with your puppy, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you. They'll teach you what to do. They'll teach you what not to do. If you sign up for 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy, you get access to a secret Facebook group where other puppy owners are kind of sharing their ideas and you know, kind of their solutions for some problems which you may be having as well. You also get access to Tina and her staff. One-on-one options are available, of course. Did I recently see them teaching a dog how to read? It's pretty incredible. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to share that video yet. She said it's something they were working on. Okay. But yeah, it's amazing. They've written commands on uh, like cardstock, and they hold them up, and the dog obeys these commands, these words. So if it, you know, sit, down, etc. We'll see if we're allowed to share that video. Maybe we can put a link to the video in the show notes or something at some point. Everybody loves puppies. Everybody loves puppies. (laughs) And if you're having problems with your puppy, you can get help from people who love puppies. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. You can find them again at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. Okay, next, we're going to hear Sam's story. I don't know if I was on top of my question-asking game because I was on the street 
in Morgantown. And she had kind of gone over her story before she even told me on the recorder. So I kind of knew what she saw. I'm not sure I was doing my best asking follow-up questions to kind of get her to clarify exactly what she saw. She saw this bat-like creature, but it was too big to be a bat. It was like the size of a small dog. And she saw it at 695 is the highway, the beltway around Baltimore. She was on that when she saw this thing fly above her car. Fly above her car? Yeah. Now, if we had flying foxes around here, I would just say it was a flying fox, but we do not. Biggest In Baltimore, bat. pretty much anything is possible. <laughs> they just have do you flying- remember hearing the urban legend when you're like the kids who went down to Fells Point? And they brought home this dog, and then they found out it was a gigantic rat. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do. The biggest bat I think we have is the large brown bat, which can get a wingspan up to about 14 inches. So nowhere near the size of whatever she saw. Let's hear Sam's short story of her sighting of this bat thing, whatever it was. Okay, my name is Sam. I was driving on 695 on the outer loop. I was passing near 83 and I saw a mousy brown colored creature, probably about 8 to 10 pounds, and it had like bat wings, like gliders, and it wasn't flapping its wings, it was just kind of gliding across 695. That's what I saw. How big was it? Probably, I'd say eight to ten pounds. That's so, about the size of my dog. So, so. a small dog, or yeah, small dog size? yeah, it's about that size. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your story. How, yeah. How wide were your wings? Just out of awesome. If you com- if you compare it to your windshield of your car, how wide were the wings? Maybe like a little more than halfway, I guess. That would put it probably yeah, it wasn't very big. It was pretty small. But, I mean, I'm trying to think of it because it was up in the sky. So, and that's where, where I thought of like my dog. I'm like, well, how big was it compared to Boogie, who's eight pounds? So it was about her size, maybe the, a little bigger. Were the wings the same color as the body? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like a mousy brown color. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank we'll see you. if anybody else has seen anything like it. Yeah. I have a very pressing question to ask you, Allison. Yes. Inquiring minds want to know. There's been some debate in our house <laughs> as to uh, a certain phrase that you say. Yes. Wh- which is? Riddle me this. Riddle me this. Now, I say people say that, and you, you're telling me that people don't use that. It's not, I it's said, not a phrase that people use. And you guys keep saying that the only people that use it are me and the Riddler. <laughs> There's you and the Riddler. <laughs> yeah. They're the two people that say, riddle me this. I think it's a more common phrase. You know, I think it was because we looked it up, and I guess there was a riddle book called Riddle Me This, and I think it perhaps was a more common phrase, but uh, yeah, let's poll the audience and see if people in general actually say, riddle me this. I would love if the answer ends up just being Allison and the Riddler. 
You're acting like I'm saying like grody to the max or something, <laughs> like some sort of like generationally specific antiquated phrase. Riddle me this. Does anybody else say riddle me this? Or not on your tin type. Nah, no one says that, right? No, I mean, that was a phrase at one point. Was it really? Yeah. We're speaking like we have a tin type to sell. That would be a good segue. We don't. We don't. I mean, I have plenty, but that's not what we chose to. Yeah, if you're looking for tin types, let us know. Tonight we're selling drugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are not selling drugs. This would go well, then. <laughs> we are selling. I mean, it's legit and it's unopened, and it may very well contain something that at one time might have been. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend um, opening it or digesting anything that's in this tube. It's actually a little wooden tube, and I'm not quite sure. You must have to break the seal to even know how to get into it. It seems entirely sealed this way, but it's got a little label around it. It's Boyd's Anti-Pain Pills. Affords safe and pleasant relief in cases of migraine, neuralgia, and headache. Repeat if necessary every 15 to 20 minutes. Every so, 15 to 20 minutes. So, and it has... um caffeine and bromide in it among other things if you had um, a migraine the caffeine would probably be helpful i'm not suggesting any of this i'm just yeah just no one of, take this if you purchase don't take this do not so, take this this is just to put in your little this is a curiosity yeah a little, little curiosity and who doesn't like having a nice reminder of anti-pain around <laughs> do you know about when that's from um that would be very helpful and I think it's possible because this is actually the Boyd of Boyd's anti-pain tablets is I.N. Boyd of York, PA, who I assume is probably um, a pharmacist, which I could look up what era it was. I will look it up and we will put it somewhere in the show notes. But it's it's not new. How about that? It's not new. It's not any time recently. What would you guess, just if, if you were guessing? Uh, Pre-1920 or after? The label looks maybe a little bit later, but the packaging is definitely... And I'm going to say it's before aspirin. In any case, it's old, and it would be perfect for a little cabinet that had weird medical things in it. A cabinet of curiosity. Yeah. So this is a tube. Yeah, like a little wooden tube. It looks like the size of about... Um, like a chapstick. Yeah, like chapstick or something. Boyd's anti-pain tablets. Each tablet contains three and one-half grains acetonilide. Yeah, look that up. You don't want to take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are nurses right now going, don't sell this. <laughs> <laughs> Prepared for I.N. Boyd, York, Pennsylvania. So seriously, we're selling this as a curiosity only. Do not take the medicine. It's not a cure for COVID. <laughs> it won't deworm your, your animals either. Just leave it alone. Boyd's anti-pain tablets. Prepared for I.N. Boyd of York, Pennsylvania. This is a very cool little wooden tube of... Yeah, I almost want to break it open and see what... Antique medicine. No, don't break it open. They're too cool. They're sealed like this. I have no clue how it would open. There'll be an image of this in the show notes under this episode at strangefamiliars.com. If you click on that, it should take you to our Etsy shop where you can buy this. And there might be one or two other curiosities of the week left. They've been selling pretty well. We have photos of the week left at Etsy. We have strange familiar shirts. I think we still have all sizes right now, but they are dwindling. Got restocks of my books last week, so all of my books are in stock and much more. Go ahead and check it out. Our shop name is Lost Grave. 
But if you type in strange familiars, our stuff should come up. If it's not overshadowed by Karmic Garden, there are strange familiars soap. No, check out Karmic Garden while you're on there as well. And Chad's store is Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. Riddle me this, Tim. Shopping at our Etsy shop is a great way to support Strange Familiars, but maybe the best way to support Strange Familiars is to become a patron at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Strange Familiars. There are 75 patron episodes right now. If you sign up, you will get those 75 episodes right away. And we're adding more every month. We're trying to do two patron shows every month for people. Can we talk about what's coming up? We can. I just added the audio. By the way, I was on Monster Fuzz podcast last week. They were nice enough to share the audio with me, so I put that up for patrons. That does not count as one of your patron episodes. That's just literally another bonus. So we do stuff like that whenever we can for our patrons, too. We try to give you as much content as we can. Patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Get extra content. Help support the show. If you don't like the idea of a subscription service like Patreon, you can make a one-time donation by going to the show notes, look for a paypal.me link, click that, and you can make a one-time donation. And you want to talk about upcoming patron shows, which include, drumroll please, hold on, let's see if I can find it. Okay, that was... Why does that one have my face on it? (laughs) All right, drumroll please. Yeah, that's... that's, It's anticlimactic, I don't like it. Uh, We went to Site 7. Last week, John and I, along with some visitors from another podcast, California. So it's an alien abduction by Californians. (laughs) We actually went a bunch of places that night. So we're going to put together this on-site episode as one of the patron episodes, probably for September. Got a lot of audio to edit for it. We'll edit that together and we'll put it out. It was uh, Follow the Woo was the other podcast. The host happens to be the daughter of a friend of ours. So we work with her actually on John's farm. We work with her. It's a very, very small world here. (laughs) Yes, yes. So she happened to be in town and she said, you know, are you doing anything spooky? We said, well, let's do something spooky. So John and I and the folks from Follow the Woo went to Site 7, like I said, and a couple other places uh, we got attacked by hornets in the woods, so we hiked through Devil's Hole at night. Nobody got stung, but uh, they were being very aggressive. That was fun. And then uh, we ended up at Site 7, where even though there were leaves on the trees, we saw the lights. It was pretty interesting. So that'll be one of our patron shows. And then the other is going to be... One I've wanted to do for ages, and actually thought for a while we might have already done because I thought I'd been thinking about it. But who doesn't love an episode that's based on something you have to look at when you're doing audio only? <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to talk about postmortem photography, dead people in photos. It was really a thing. Occasionally, still is the thing. I've seen some modern postmortem photographs, but not anywhere near as common as it was in the Victorian times. But we'll go over all of that in the patron episodes coming up for September. That'll be it for this week's Strange Familiars. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. 
Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com if you want to hear more or purchase music by Stonebreath. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. If you're on Facebook, you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word. And we're on the web at strangefamiliars.com. In 2019, the first Strange Realities Conference took place in Nashville, Tennessee. The pandemic and turmoil of the following year could not stop 2020's conference from thriving in cyberspace as a live streaming event. Now, for 2021, the third annual Strange Realities Conference will combine these worlds into a paranormal hybrid event, live in person in Nashville and streaming online. Join us in exploring just how truly strange our reality can be with an interdimensional lineup of speakers presenting unique and intellectual perspectives on magic, mysteries, and the paranormal. Featuring Alan Greenfield, Dr. J. Michael Bennett, a.k.a. Dr. Future, Tim Banal, Soraya Ascath, Dr. Stephen Finley, Aaron Gullius, Amy Pachula, Brent Raines, Chris Ernst, Heather Mosher, Michael Hughes, Jose Herrera, Joshua Cutchin, Kiki Dombrowski, Nathan Isaac, P.D. Newman, Stephen Snyder, a.k.a. Recluse, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Steve Stockton, and Ren Collier. Tickets available at StrangeRealitiesConference.com. It's going to be amazing.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.